In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hillary Blair is our guest this week on Money Tales. Hillary helps business people get comfortable in the uncomfortable. She believes our society has shut down a lot of sharing within conversations. And as a result, we miss out on leadership opportunities by confusing confidence and comfort. Hillary observes that you can be confident if you accept the discomfort that might be involved. Tell your story, share your vulnerability, and where you've made mistakes. This transparency, especially in money conversations, will allow you to tell your story, connect with others, and as Hillary says, own the awkward. Let me tell you about Hillary. She's a keynote speaker, champion of human connection, and the CEO of Articulate Real and Clear. A presentation and speaking voice expert, Hillary is a highly regarded coach and facilitator working extensively across the globe. She is also on the faculty for the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. Here are three key money topics Hillary hits on in this conversation. First, how business people and artists are the same. Both are driven by passion and the drive to succeed. The primary difference is that business people track and measure money. Second, how as a business owner, she's come to realize the importance of speaking clearly and transparently about the fees she charges. And third, how talking about money is both freeing and complex. At first, Hillary thought our conversation would be flat and discovered that money conversations are instead very textured. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Hillary Blair. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, my family and I were back at the carnival this year. And I don't know if you remember my stories about last year when we were there. I do. You ended up spending a little bit more money on all kinds of trinkets than you had wished you had. Oh, Sandy, it was so shocking. We remembered that feeling of how quickly money is taken out of your wallet to try and get that stuffy that's really a tiny little stuffy. Anyway, this year we had money conversations with the girls and said, listen, you have been given some nice gifts from your grandmothers. Here's $40 for you to spend each at the carnival. And it was a great strategy because now, granted, they were shocked. They got three darts for $10, but that was great, right? You could have that conversation. You'd see that money going quickly, huh? 
it went quickly, but it was just a really fun opportunity. We learned from last year. We set a budget. We were willing to kick in another little bit because it can go so quickly. And just really a perfect opportunity to demonstrate our values that we don't just keep spending money, even though it is fun. We are trying to get the bigger stuffy, but we also know those stuffies will be forgotten tomorrow. Kimmy, did the girls do anything surprising with the money? They saw that on one of the games that if you bought two rounds, you got more. In this case, it was the darts. You got more darts than if you just bought two separate tens. And so they joined forces and both said, yeah, let's do this game. Then we get more darts. Oh, brilliant. It was brilliant. I'm so glad it worked out better for you this year and that there's some money learning in there for your children. That's really exciting. I agree. Well, let's move over to our guest today. Hillary Blair, welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. Delighted to be here to talk about money. We're delighted to have you. Would you introduce yourself and share a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted who you are today? I am an actor who was then guided by a businesswoman to share the gifts, techniques, discipline of the performing arts with business people. About 12 years ago, co-founded Articulate Real and Clear. Real communication is an art. Taking those communication skills and bringing that into the corporate world and figuring out how to speak and connect as individuals and work well as a team and all those wonderful things that theater people do. What theater people don't do usually is talk about money. (laughs) One of the pivotal moments was understanding that as an artist, I had a very large chip on my shoulder about business people and about businesses. Money grubbing, selfish, greedy, all those things that often, not all, artists tend to enjoy believing and to our detriment, right? So we are taught that and yet running a theater, doing any art is a small business. So then we are at odds with ourselves and we actually are self-sabotaging. And the whole company is folks who have worked, who are professional performers or professional in the theater. So sometimes stage managers, dramaturgs, things like that. So the interesting thing is that I was around business people and the pivotal thing was to realize, wait a minute, I'm falling in love with this idea of business and business people and artists are the same. We are all driven by passion and we have this drive to succeed. And the difference with business is we track and measure money. And that tracking and measuring would serve all of us. That's a really important thing and has been a harder skill for me to learn, even though in my head, I get it. My body has been indoctrinated into this arts world. So that's one. And I believe that early on, the second one has to do with family history and money and parents definitely in the have world in general, but my father was of the have nots of the have world, if that makes sense. I'm being really aware that my name is Hillary Blair and I look like I do and I have a privilege that comes with much of who I am and I'm aware of that. But my father came from the have nots within that world. My mom from the haves financially. And what's interesting, they were of that generation that my dad took care of the finances, which was not his gift at all. My mom was actually really good at math. My other was a doctor. We all think, ah, she should have gone on and become a physician herself. And she was great with numbers and money and all that. And that's not what she did. And I have 
really visceral and firsthand experience of the wrong person being in charge of finances can cause huge impact. One's artsy and one's family history. So those are my two pivotal moments. Hillary, that's a great introduction. Say more about this visceral reaction. I'd love to understand, when were you aware of these differences? I am the youngest by far. And so there were a lot of medical expenses around mental health. And there were feelings that my mother had married down and that he didn't know how to deal with money. I was aware as a little kid that my mom was great. I mean, she helped me with math. That was her strength and she never stepped in. So I think the visceral reaction was her claiming her place, falling into her place and me without knowing what's going on, feeling like something was askew, not mad. I wasn't, it wasn't an angry thing. It was like, something's not right. The machine isn't quite working the way it should or could. Yeah. And I grew up in a fancy resort area. So I was very aware of have and have nots. And I have cousins and family who have a lot more money than we did due to whatever my father's mental health, all of those things and grew up in a resort town and then went to a fancy college. So I have been surrounded by have and have nots, choices that worked and didn't, old money versus new money, the differences in those, all of that very much in my journey. (laughs) Hillary, how has that impacted you as a person as you've grown up? If you're identifying the world as have and have nots as a young person, it seems to me a natural reaction could be to try to figure out, well, where do I fit on the spectrum? And so I'm just curious, how were you thinking about this and how did it impact you? Your question just made me go, in hindsight, why didn't it make me go straight for the money? Like, that's what I would have been like, money, you asked that question. Now I'm thinking, Sandy, I'm like, hmm, my family was so into social justice and my mother saying things like, we're rich in other things, all those. That is interesting, Sandy. So I'm thinking out loud right now. It feels like it made me make sense of it in a way that may have slightly, maybe more than slightly, tinted the clarity that was like a fog through it. I coached kids in New York who came from a lot of money. I was a child psych major. So when I got to New York to support my acting, I was working at this child psych office. They were awesome. They sent me as a homework helper to these really wealthy people who had lovely children at home alone they didn't really need a tutor. They needed a homework helper. Really different. I just needed to say, okay, get a snack. Now sit down. Okay, now let's open up your books. And it was reinforced what was lacking with so much money was actual relationship. And there were other people in the home. And to even more typify the stereotypical situation I was in, most of them didn't speak English. And so I was the one who spoke English to speak with the child who was like 10 or eight or you know whatever. And so it reinforced for me that money didn't necessarily buy what was necessary. So it got reinforced by doing that. And my story reinforced it, right? And I'm like, oh, see what it's about. So pursuing acting. So Sandy, I'm thinking in hindsight, I'd like to go back and I'd like to be that little kid and go, oh, look at, I'm going to now figure out how to make money, not in a bad way. And look at me, that's how I'm raised, not in a bad way. I was always really good with money. I kept track of it. I knew how much I spent and where it went. I started because I was in a resort town, started working at a young age, was able to support myself. The family money was gone by the time I was going to college. So I was a scholarship kid and helped work through and had a campus job and all that and paid back my student loans, 
always just been a super hard worker. Hillary, being good with money. I appreciate you bringing that up. You're accountable to it. It's important to you. You've learned a lot. You budget. What influence did the relationship your parents had around money and your mom taking the backseat to managing the money? How did that impact you as you were growing up and prioritizing this understanding around money? It was like honoring my father by some of my behavior. I think that it has me quietly be good with money for me. I wish it meant phenomenal investor and lots of passive stream income streams. I wish it meant that. What it means is that I am careful with money. I am big into donating, not into spending things. I am not a rash spender, that kind of thing. So I think I do things quietly. I think I don't talk money. I know that when I started working with this, the businesswoman who met me and suggested I work with business people, her name is Nell Merlino. We know her as the woman who co-founded Take Our Daughters to Work Day. She was a visionary. And she saw those skills and thought, work with business people. And I went and where I always thought I'm working on shifting my mindset of what business is about and what businesses need, because I was hired and brought me in to teach people how to pitch their businesses. Because as a theater person, I'm good with voice and I'm good with story and in your body and all of that. And I was learning what ROI means. I really knew nothing. Right? I was just learning the vocabulary. Whole new vocabulary, it sounds like. I knew nothing. And they were instilling into all of the women that we need to talk about our money and how much we make and stop being silent about it and talking about, because people don't, a lot of women entrepreneurs, like they feel like it's wrong to talk about it. And in my industry, in the speaking industry, we aren't supposed to talk about our fees. So we do things like, well, you know, like three pineapples. And then in the sense, there are a number of reasons for that, right? Around not wanting to lock people in and a number of important business reasons for that. And it also plays into all of us not being clear and transparent about it. So my head was like, you bet, we should all be talking about our money. And my entire body was like frozen from the neck down. So if you think head, heart, gut, my heart and gut were like, Mm-mm, mm-mm. And my head was like, yes, we should talk about it. You should talk about your money. I'm not sure I should. And this wonderful woman, Isasara, would have us, she would always say, we need to share our money stories. And I was amazed at their money stories. <laughs> you didn't realize you had a great money story. I am a business owner. I just turned 60. And I'm like, okay, what is this with where am I and how far ahead do I think? Am I only a short-term planner and not a long-term planner? And I feel like that is one of the things that when you say good with my money, I would think long-term planning is good with your money. I had a friend when I came out to grad school, I'm living in Colorado now, came out to grad school and she said, you need to be saving. I go, what? What do you mean? She goes, you need to be investing. She said, we're going to start a fund right now. Janice Fund had something that I could put $50 a month in, 50 bucks. Thank goodness this friend said this. And that was part of her mindset. Of course, you should be saving, Hillary. I've been an actor and a teacher and none of those came with, they were all freelance. So none of them came with a set retirement idea. And I'd never heard of it. I never heard it mentioned in my home ever. You're highlighting the importance of money conversations. And it sounds like you've gone through quite a journey to get you to this money conversation today. And I'm curious, how does it feel right now to be talking about money with us? I think freeing and far more complex than I had thought it would be. Little things are coming up. I'm like, oh, then there's that. And then there's that. I feel like there's a little garden and plants keep popping up. (laughs) It's surprising me 
how much there is. It seemed flat and now it's very textured as we keep talking. Hearing your story, it sounds like because there weren't very many over money conversations early in life, you made a lot of assumptions. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier in our conversation was having a chip on your shoulder about business people, then identifying that you wanted to start working with them, which sounds like an incredible hurdle, at least mentally in terms of a mindset shift. How did you get comfortable with that? It was going to all of these competitions for these women entrepreneurs and staying for every panel discussion and every talk and workshop. Actors are very learning focused, right? We're going to be learning about characters and explore. So I went in with that idea. I'm going to learn about these people. And then I realized that I had that chip or that wall. And so I started realizing all the false assumptions I had. And that, so it started um, tapping on them and opening them up and kept opening up false assumptions and false ideas. And it took a while. I mean, I was working with business people for a while before it dawned on me that I actually really wanted to start a business myself. What a concept. So you were saying it felt like self-sabotaging, which is so descriptive. I mean, you got this artist on one side and interest in growing a business, but it felt like it was in terrible conflict. And again, that's really hard. So you're saying through having these conversations and going to these events, were you starting to open up around having money conversations that got you there? How do you reconcile that? I needed to see that they were, that all I saw was passion and dedication and that focus, the same as the artists. I really did see them the same and then saw what we were missing as artists. And I had a theater friend that I was talking to at the time. And I remember saying to him, I go, don't you think we'd all benefit from tracking and measuring? There's a story, and we probably should double check it, that Seinfeld was known for tracking and measuring the writing of his jokes. So he tracked like he would write one every day and he'd keep track of how they landed and think of how successful he was. I started hearing more of that, right? Instead of blocking, I started hearing other things. You know, you really filter in what you want to hear. (laughs) I just had a thought come to me while you were speaking, Kim, that I realized in elementary school, I started a little sale. At recess, I had a little box and I loved going to yard sales and that kind of thing, right? And so I would have little things for sale, little toys, little trinkets, and I had a little business going. And I was young. This was pre-fourth grade because I think it was that school that I was in. I thought it was super, right? I was making money and all that. And it got shut down as that. So I'm just remembering instead of being praised as an entrepreneur and yay, right? It was shut down as bad and greedy. At school or from your family? I'm thinking that maybe schools, like, you know, your daughter shouldn't be doing this. And then I got sat down. I needed to pull a license from the city or something. But then my dad, I'm sure, sat me down and said, is that being greedy or is that being bad? Or what's your, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I was like seven or eight or something. (laughs) These experiences in our childhood can really make lasting impressions on our outlooks. And those messages come in strong sometimes hard to get away from them. Hillary, you're someone who uses your artistic craft to help business people communicate. I'm wondering if you can talk about the skills that you're bringing to this conversation that our listeners can embody to have more productive money conversations. The first one probably is owning the awkward. We talk a lot about people confusing 
confidence and comfort that there are many people who say, well, I was in a meeting, I was in a conversation and I lost my confidence. And I'm like, really? Or did you just get uncomfortable? So our society has shut down a lot of sharing and a lot of conversations and a lot of fabulous leadership by not separating those two and being careful that we're aware that often we are uncomfortable. So I'm rocking my awkward for sure with you all. So I am super uncomfortable. And that transparency is another one that we work on with folks is speaking to what's going on. I just had a thought come. I'm remembering back now. And I'm connecting the framework so you know where I'm coming from with thoughts. We often pop things out and think that people don't need to know more or that they can create the story around it. And they can create the story around it. That is one of our greatest human skills is creating story. That's how we make meaning. We don't want to stop creating story. The clearer we can be with that story and help guide people, the easier it is for us to stay in the same story and on the same page. We will inevitably miscommunicate. I will say something and people will disappear into their own head, their own story. But the more transparent I can be is like, wow, I'm feeling this or this is what happened or this, like when Cammie asked me a question and I said, well, actually, while you were talking, I went back to my childhood, right? I was transparent that a different story came. That keeps us in the same place. If I jump to, when I was in elementary school, it can have the listeners think and Cammie think I didn't hear her or I didn't care about it. I dismissed, we put story on, depends who we are. So more transparent we are about our own listening journey and our own feeling journey, the easier it is for us to stay in the same place. So that transparency is one of them and then owning the awkward. And the other is I am all about voice and breath and that is where my stuff manifested. So that meant got all cut off and tight and noticing for me, it's noticing when I hold my breath and noticing to breathe through it and I'm highly overtrained, obviously, on voice, and I do voiceovers and all of that. And still, I notice that caught my throat, that caught my breath, that caught, wow. And I exhale, huh, to get back on my breath again. Those are three things that I think I'm doing. <laughs> Fantastic. I think these are great tips for listeners. As we find our place, you mentioned you're super uncomfortable in this conversation. You're not coming across as super uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I say comfortable being uncomfortable, right? I've gotten comfortable being uncomfortable, rocking my awkward. And just to dive into that for a moment, Hillary, how can one determine if they're uncomfortable versus lacking confidence? At least with the people that I work with, I think it if you run it through the filter first, am I just feeling super uncomfortable? And and honor them and go, you know, you really are confident. It came from working with a group of women who worked in healthcare out in rural Colorado, actually. And they kept giving away. I was working with them and they kept saying, I lost my confidence. And I finally said, I don't think so. (laughs) I said, I think you're brilliant. I think you were uncomfortable and giving away your power by saying you're giving away your confidence. So I think the first thing is run it through the filter and see if it resonates. Like, yeah, I am. Actually, I am confident in my content and in what I'm talking about. And I'm super awkward. I think that's the first thing. And then Then the second thing really is to go, yeah, and sometimes my confidence is rocked. I think we just give it away too quickly and we don't have the different stages. It's really giving it away from ourselves because we're the ones that are labeling. Hillary, I want to ask a question about your business, Articulate Real and Clear. I love the tagline, real communication is an art. I agree. 
you're a businesswoman, you're an entrepreneur, you're an actor, and you create this business. I'm curious, how did you figure out and how do you figure out the right way to price your services? Wow. So the first thing I would say is I dumped that on my co-owner, but that's awesome. And then (laughs) deflection is always a strategy. Transparency. (laughs) For us, I'll say an us statement because I am in on it. We do talk to others. The other thing is some people say have fee integrity. So charge the same no matter what. I don't know if that always works, right? Because it really is a small business is different than a corporate entity that if we are coaching Some people don't even see value in what you do unless you charge a certain amount. People judge you based on, I mean, think about sneakers and jeans, right? I don't know if I'm going to buy those sneakers because they're only $50. I need to spend $150 because those are better sneakers, right? Not necessarily. And there is that sense. In the coaching and training world, as we build a reputation, what people feel is the right value for it. And we undercharge, often undercharge, because we are like, we really just want to help. We want to do it. We want to teach. We're teachers, all that. That's one thing. Conversations are super important with colleagues. One of those important elements is checking in with others and seeing where they are and what the range is. Hillary, you said earlier that people in your profession aren't really talking about money though. So that sounds a little confusing with trying to check in. And I'm curious, what do you think would be different if everyone got comfortable talking about money and what they're charging. And if the people who weren't making as much got comfortable too, because that's the thing is you feel like the people who are comfortable are the ones who are look, and you never know how successful someone really is, but look successful. I think that the conversations to your point of the contradiction, it's in the big events that we don't talk about it in the mastermind groups and the smaller groups and colleagues. That's where those conversations happen. And what are you charging? What do you think? And that's a helpful place. Maybe even more so than fees, discussing why it's hard to talk about fees or what are you basing it on? Like, are you wrapping in your time and your phone calls before and how much of your time is actually going into what you're doing? I have a part of our work that is really on the marketing line, not the income line. And on that marketing line, not only is it a low fee with the idea that we get work out of it, it's also my setup time, the flying, the travel, there are all these other expenses and reserving hotel rooms and getting your flights that all of these things take time. And it's interesting, the less I feel valued for that, this is something I'm going through right now. I'm having a, wow, I don't feel valued for what I'm bringing as much as I can do. I just said this to someone the other day. I know it's all good. Don't even worry about it. I love teaching. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, that is the biggest cop-out to getting what I'm worth and saying I need to be valued more. And I was of two minds, maybe not literally, but definitely figuratively, as I was saying that I'm my head is going seriously or business owner. And inside the voice coming out is like, I'm a teacher, don't you worry. Oh, that's how we treat our teachers too. <laughs> Hillary, describe your relationship with money today. Respectful. One thought that come in mind is I feel like I missed the understanding of how money and I could work together better. How money could work with me to do more of the things that I think are important. I think I have that in my head, but not necessarily in action. And I speak of it more, I connect more, even though this is awkward, right? Because it is more effective, healthier. I do have investments. I wish I was better at seeing opportunities. And I mean, who doesn't wish they bought some Zoom stock, right? So I wish I were better at seeing that 
And I think I'm still short-sighted. I think I'm learning that the longer view would help me and help the business. That's an awareness, right? That's so great. Larry, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I'm constantly having business talks with my co-owner in that sense of what are we doing business-wise and what are our longstanding goals for where we're going? Why is everything on subscription basis? So it's hard to tell how much money you're spending all the time because everything's with everything, right? What happened to buying software? I'm just really trying to keep close track on where that money is. So I think the next conversation needs to be more a deeper exploration of long-term versus short-term and making sure we're keeping track of what's really going out and what's beneficial. Oh, Hillary, that sounds like a great conversation. Tell our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So Hillary Blair, Hillary with one L, this will be a money conversation. Because as my father would say, why use two when one would work? There's a theme. (laughs) Oh my goodness, there's a theme right there. And definitely our website. So articulatrc.com. So the RC stands for real and clear and articulatrc.com. We love connecting with people. Mm, We can tell. And it's been great to connect with you on the Money Tales podcast. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.